Welcome to the We Go Places podcast, where we catch up with We Go grads who share with us the story of the journey to their unique careers. I'm your host, Brian Turnbaugh, English teacher at We Go since 2001, and you just heard intro music from Andy Georgieff, class of 2022. Today, I catch up with class of 2017's Emily Bono, owner and stylist at Starling Hair Studio and musician in voice and keys for the band From Ashes to Embers. Emily will share with us how her creativity reaches from the chair in her salon all the way to music festivals in front of thousands of fans. Be sure to check out the episode page to find links to her studio and and to listen to the band on Spotify and YouTube. Joining us from the class of 2017 is Emily Bono. Emily, tell us what you do. I am a small business owner. I um, run my own salon suite, um, so I do hair. And then I am also a musician on the side. Uh, Emily, when did you start pursuing the career uh, where you would career where you would be kind of making people look the best version of themselves? And when did when did that path start for you? So initially, I I was known very well in school, or at least I'd like to believe so that I would change my hair a lot. Um, and my sophomore year, I was presented with um, the option of going to TCD. Um, so my junior and senior year, I was uh, going to the Technology Center in DuPage um, part time while also being at the high school. What was the coursework like at TCD and what, how did it set the hook for you? Um, you know, it was really nice because I was also getting high school credits while I was learning a career. So that was awesome. Um, as far as like, you know, I would be there, I was in the afternoon, so I would be there in the afternoon and, um, it would be pretty much everything I needed to know to be in this industry. So, um, it would be a lot of learning how to shampoo or learning, basic chemistry in regards to hair and basic electrical terms in regards to um, hair tools, because, you know, we are working with uh, different electrical tools and we're working with chemistry and ways of mixing color and things like that. And just kind of the nitty gritty that you don't think of when you're going to get a haircut. So just kind of all the basics uh, and then some of being in that industry. What would surprise us about like the degree of like geometry and symmetry versus chemistry that go into uh, this career? Because I mean, you're right. Like, I don't think we think about chemistry uh, when, mm -hmm. like, I mean, that's, I mean, we just show up and get shampooed and, and use various different chemicals, but you have to have a real firm understanding about what type of chemical be used with what type of hair. What's that learning curve like? Uh, well, as far as like in the geometry sense goes, uh, haircuts get corners, which is a very strange thing to say. Um, huh. There's a lot of having to hold the hair at a specific angle to get the effects that you want. And if you hold it too low or too high, you might take a chunk out that you don't want. And uh, that's something that is really weird to think about because it's so natural to me now. But I remember when I first started, when I was in school, I... I had no idea what was going and they, you know, your instructors talk about it. Like, it's so easy that, oh yeah, you know, you just hold it at a 90 degree angle and you cut here and it'll lay like this. And you're sitting there like, what, what, what do you mean? Um, and then in the industry, like when you're finally on the floor, it just kind of clicks one day. It's the weirdest thing to explain because I've had multiple um, fellow hairstylists kind of tell me the same thing that they're like, yeah, you know, I remember my moment where you're just like, oh yeah, this is how this works. Uh, as far as chemistry goes, uh, there's so many different products that we use, uh, more in the lines of color, you know, 
we use oxidative color that is, uh, you know, typically sometimes has ammonia, though now in this day and age, we know that ammonia is not great for us. So we have gotten better at formulating things a little differently, but, um, you know, knowing what kind of developer to use, our developers is what makes the color work. Uh, and so those are categorized via uh, content of hydrogen peroxide. So, you know, knowing if that's going to damage someone's hair, knowing if this is the right mixture to use. Um, same with there, there's a certain uh, services that basically can change the construction of your hair and change the mm. shape of your hair. So um, most of us know them as a perm, very popular in the eighties, obviously. <laughs> uh, there's also uh, a different type of permanent called a relaxer. And uh, those are typically manufactured with sodium hydroxide. And so that's a very scary thing that I don't offer mainly because uh, that can go wrong very quickly. Uh, but yeah, it's a lot. It's also a lot of color theory as well. Uh, knowing, you know, if when you're doing uh, color on someone, if it's going to go well with their skin tone, if it's going to go well with, um, if you're doing two colors, if they're going to look right together, if you are doing highlights on someone and their hair turns bright orange, how do you fix that? So there's a lot that goes into it. Uh, and it, it's very like, oh, I'm getting my hair done is a very casual uh, statement. But, you know, in our minds, there's a lot going on. Oh, it's a whole laboratory that's going on there. You're absolutely mm -hmm. right. I, and I, I was just going back to like the, you know, how you cut the hair. Do you, because I, I, you never think about the perspective of the person cutting your hair. Can you, are you looking at, I mean, or, how do I say this? You're looking at your hands, but can you also do it while, while you're looking at the mirror? And that blows my mind that you can do both at the same time. <laughs> With perception and all that, how does that work? Um, I use the mirror a lot to make sure that everything's even in a sense. I, I look at the hair in my hands more than the mirror yeah. itself. Um, a lot of times, honestly, I turn my clients away from the mirror even just because it's easier for me to stand in that direction. And I know a lot of stylists to do, that do the same kind of thing. It's all very personal of how you do things. Um, but you know, generally for the most part, a lot of it is me, you know, cause I'm, I'm very talkative when I'm in that kind of scenario, because when you're, you know, hanging out with someone for anywhere from 30 minutes to three hours, depending on what you're doing, uh, you, you, you kind of want to have a conversation with them as much as possible. So you're not just both standing there silent, or I should say in their case, sitting there, but you're not both just there awkwardly silent while, um, you know, you're just kind of touching them. So that, that um, is like, so that's like, it, like what, what, what became easier, like the cutting of the hair or becoming a conversationalist? Cause I would imagine both are, I mean, obviously you have to have incredible skill with these sharp mm -hmm. objects that you have around someone's head, but like, you know, Absolutely. that other soft touch about, uh, you know, being able to carry on conversation. When did you feel that you were able to kind of develop that conversational capacity to be able to kind of, like you said, half hour to three hours, mm -hmm. a lot of time to fill. I was always comfortable talking to people. Uh, I started my first job on the floor pretty much as soon as I graduated from high school. So, um, you know, I finished up my uh, cosmetology school through that summer. And then I was on the floor as of August, I believe August or September. Oh, wow. So initially when I started, I 
was able to talk to people, but I was not very great with social cues because admittedly I was always kind of like the weird kid that I, you know, I have pets that people normally don't have. And I have, uh, you know, interests that people normally don't have. And like, yeah, I had my crowd of people that would understand, but you know, when you have, uh, you know, a 50 year old lady named Marlene in your chair, you kind of got to adapt to that. So that was something that, uh, that was a little more challenging for me. And I think that took me, um, six months to a year to really start to understand, you know, like to come up with things to speak to people about. It's, it, it's so true. Like you have to have that, uh, ability to adapt socially and, and have in so many different age groups and interests and mm -hmm. kind of find that, that it, it persistent thread. That's, that's so interesting. Absolutely. So, uh, you, so you, you graduate then, so you found a, a job really uh, quickly. Um, mm -hmm. how long did you stay at that job? And then when did you kind of get the sense that like you wanted to strike out uh, on your own? So I was at my first salon job. Initially, I was at a unpaid internship that ended up turning into an assisting job while I was still in school. And then shortly after that, I went to haircuttery and that was my first um, actual salon job. And I was there from 2017 to 2019. And uh, I learned a lot there and I still have uh, the majority of my friends that I had there. I'm still really close with. One of them ended up being my roommate actually. Um, and then I actually briefly left the industry for about six months and worked at a tattoo shop. Um, and then I went back to a different salon um, and was there for a couple months. And then our lovely pandemic happened. Oh, sure. um, and when that happened, I got spooked. Um, my younger brother has pretty severe special needs and the common cold can put him in the hospital. So mm. I uh, opted to, even though I wasn't seeing my family at that time, I opted to step away from the industry for a second time because I didn't feel comfortable being close to people. And that was really scary to me because uh, a big majority of this industry is that you need a clientele, that you need to know people and you need to have a full book because if you are not at a shop that pays hourly and you're just commission or in like the case that I'm at now that if you're not working, you're not getting paid, um, it's frightening. So it was kind of something that I was like, okay, I'm stepping away from my clients and stepping away from this industry and I don't know what's going to happen. So I worked at Starbucks for a hot minute during the pandemic because I didn't want to touch people. So I slung coffee for a while and that was really cool. People are very passionate about their beverages. Um, and then I got an opportunity to work at a different shop and I was there for two years and I uh, got some management skills under that shop as well. Um, I don't, talk about that shop name wise, just because my ending of that shop was not great. And even though they didn't have me sign an NDA, I'm going to pretend that I have one. <laughs> uh, so uh, I was there and I regained a clientele and then I opened a salon suite in a neighboring, um, not really neighboring, but in a uh, salon suite rental facility. Um, and initially I had a partner um, and she was a big push for me to do go independent. Um, cause like I said, it's very scary, you know, when you're, um, very reliant on people coming to see you and making sure that people follow you and hoping that you get new clients and things like that. Um, because you know, it, again, if I'm not seeing clients, then I'm not making anything. So the idea of doing it, and there's, I've always 
thought about going independent, but again, it's very hard to. Um, and I think a lot of it too is the legality of things is what scares yeah, people yeah. a lot too. And that goes for opening any business. But so, uh, yeah, now we're yeah, here. That, okay, so that's super fascinating. So I want to come back to what you said about like building a clientele. I mean, you, mm -hmm. you had to do that. I, I want to say from scratch, because you had some probably some uh, some dedicated uh, clients. Uh, but then what was it like to keep uh, the, the recidivism of the, your old the clients that would come to you to the, your new shop? And then what's the process of like, let's say, marketing and kind of uh, branding yourself out to bring in new clients? What's because you said you, you got a new sense of the management uh, style that mm -hmm. so I'd imagine uh, includes like, how do I get my name out there, the image and, and all those stuff? How did you uh, what was that like uh, in the initial stage of your of your shop? So a lot of it is asking people for referrals, um, being like, hey, you know, if you send your mom in, you send your your friend in, um, you know, I'll give you $5 off next time I see you and they'll get a little bit off their service too. Um, or a lot, so a lot of word of mouth. Uh, I, uh, the main thing I was known for my senior year was having bright green hair and I still have bright green hair to this day. Um, and so a lot of times I'll see people in Walmart and I'll just be doing my grocery shopping and someone will be like, oh my gosh, I love your hair. And I'll pull out a business card and be like, here you nice. go. You should come see me. I do hair and I can make you green too. Um, <laughs> so that's a lot of it. Um, typically in this industry, Instagram is used a lot. I'm really bad at posting on Instagram though. And I'm really bad at wording things. So it's hard to, you know, you post your work or you can post like, pictures of your workspace or things like that. Um, but that's very much up to the algorithm as if mm. someone sees it, but sometimes you see get the right person to see it. And that's pretty cool. Um, same thing with like a Facebook page, lots of, you know, people posting, um, whether like I lurk on like the, what's, what's going on in the neighboring area, um, Facebook groups. So my, my shop's located in Schaumburg. So I'm in like the what's happening in Schaumburg Facebook group. And anytime someone's like, Hey, I'm looking for a hairstylist that can do a, B and C. And I'll pop in and be like, hi, I, uh, I, I work in the area. Um, feel free to shoot me a DM if you'd like to chat and about your hair goals. So it's a lot of just looking for opportunity to be able to do it. Tell me about the shop. And uh, it's, first of all, it's a cool name. Uh, it's one of my Thank favorite. You. It's one of my favorite birds. And uh, again, the a murmuration is one of my favorite uh, mm -hmm. metaphors in all of the animal kingdom. So, uh, how did you decide on the name? And what was it like opening day and you know your first few weeks and months of, of uh, having the shop open? Absolutely. So I had to go through the process twice. So initially, the suite I had opened with my old partner was under a different name. So we had to go through that first. So that original name was Mad Hatter Hair Society. Uh, she wanted to do something Tim Burton themed. And that was really, really cool. Wasn't quite my vibe. I love Tim Burton things, but I didn't want to be confined to such a box. Um, mm. And then she decided to step away. Um, it wasn't working for her, for her. And because she was the one who filed our paperwork, she uh, just took me off of the LLC. So I was like, okay, what do I do now? So I had to basically start from scratch. So my name, my shop name that I ended up coming up with is Starling Hair Studio. Um, and I chose that because I actually have a pet starling. 
Um, so his name is Voodoo. He fell out of his nest as a itty bitty baby. And I, by chance, found him in my backyard. Um, I brought him to the nature center and they were like, yeah, no, unfortunately, starlings are invasive. We can't take him, but we can euthanize him. And I was like, you know, he, uh, survived falling on his head. Um, and, uh, you know, I'd like to give him a chance. And they were like, okay, well, congratulations on your bird. And I was like, well, thanks. So, um, I wasn't really expecting him to survive and now I've had him for two years. So, um, my logo is him. Um, he is my, my boy. I love him to death. So, um, for me to be able to kind of breathe a life into this little bird that are considered trash birds to most, um, is something that's really cool, really cool to me, which I, I'm so thrilled that you're like, oh yeah, starlings are cool. Cause I'm like, yes. Cause most uh, people are like, oh yeah. They're, they're mesmerizing. They're it really is just mesmerizing. Yeah. Watch them. Um, yeah. So he's, he's my boy. Um, and we, we used to joke that we were like, oh yeah, he wasn't meant to survive. So he's spoiled beyond belief. So I was like, well now he's immortalized in a whole business. Um, so that was the main thing. Uh, and it's nice because I, I, I do have like, I definitely have pictures of birds all over the place in here. But that being said, I can also decorate a little more how I wanted instead of just being confined to a Tim Burton theme. So that's been cool too. So when did when did you get a sense that like okay the the ship has been steadied and I I think I got this like uh what what when when did you get it when when just like when you said you you found that balance of how you were able to handle the the scissors and it all kind of became part of muscle memory when mm-hmm. did when did the management and the ownership be like yeah this is my this is my place now when when mm-hmm. did that was there a moment where you're like yeah this is it. So initially it was actually when my business partner decided to, to leave. Um, and it was, it was a very weird situation because I kind of knew that it was going to happen. She told me that she wasn't really doing well. And I was like, well, you know, it's only been a couple months, like stick it out. It'll be okay. And, um, I was actually going on vacation for the first time in my life. Um, my family never traveled. I don't really go anywhere. Furthest I've been is Ohio. So I was like, you know, I um, I would like to see the world a little bit. So uh, I was going on a trip to New Orleans with a friend. And about two days before I left for my trip, my business partner pulled me aside and was like, hey, um, I can't do this anymore. It's not working out. I got to go. And I'm taking this, everything that I bought with me. And I was like, yeah, no, absolutely. I get that. You know, you paid for it. Um, and a lot of the stuff that I purchased was stuff that we used mutually because I wanted to be nice. Um, cause she, she was my friend and she still is. Um, and I, you know, was like, okay, well let me know what's going on and then we'll go from there. So I leave for new Orleans and I don't hear from her. And when I came back, all of her stuff was gone. Um, she didn't really, t- I knew that she was taking some stuff home, but I didn't realize she was taking everything that she was planning to take. Um, so I sat there and I went, okay, let's do this. And I got all the things I needed and I went through and filed all my new government things, which um, it's something about starting a business, which is absolutely terrifying and I think that's a lot of reason why a lot of people don't pull the trigger is there is a lot that um there's nothing that tells you 
what you need from point A to point B of like everything you need to file that you need to file an LLC and you need to register with the government on multiple different bases and the taxes and it's a lot. So once I finally had an understanding of everything I was doing on top of the fact that I was still actively doing hair while getting everything going, um, that was really the point that I was like, we're doing this. It's happening. We're doing this. Um, and the, the nice thing too, is I was still seeing my clientele while it was all happening. So this isn't the only thing uh, that you do. I was wondering if you could also, uh, tell me about the music career that you have, uh, as well, where you, it seems like you're very active in what do you do and tell us about, uh, the genre of music that you, uh, that you play. Absolutely. Um, so I am in a band called from ashes to embers. Um, I am the, I'm, I'm, one of two vocalists and I play keys. Um, we are, we, we say we're out of Chicago, but technically we're based out of Rockford, but so it's a very broad area. Um, there's six of us in total. And um, uh, genre wise, we are, we say like alternative metal. I always kind of describe it as like if early Evanescence was heavier. Um, and then we've made an entire joke about that because um, we've been, in a negative sense been called knockoff evanescence before oh, so no. <laughs> we, we push into it and yeah. we think it's funny so um yeah it's 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 definitely interesting how long have you been playing with the band um it will be a year on september 21st which is actually a very exciting date for us because we are playing a festival on that day Oh, wow. Um, what what do you think was, what was your most exciting gig where you're like, wow, this is like the crowd was feeling it and there was just a an energy that is just, just amazing? Um, I mean, well, so for the most part, all of our shows are pretty great and I'm very thankful for like the fan base that we have. I would say probably the best one that we've had of late. Um, we played at a venue in McHenry called The Vixen. Um, and we were supporting a band called Power Man 5000, um, 9000, 9000, I don't know, Power Man. Um, and, um, so they, uh, are a national act. Uh, the lead vocalist is actually Rob Zombie's younger brother. So that was really cool. Uh -huh, cool. Um, that was a very exciting show. And that was also a interesting one because it was the first show of mine that my dad went to. Um, so my dad got to see my band perform for the first time at that show and um the crowd was phenomenal and everyone was very very sweet and coming and talking to us and just a very great energy one you know you do uh, things that uh that require a lot of um confidence right so like when someone says here make make me look better. So, you know, and they mm -hmm. you have the confidence that, that you can cut their hair. You talked about how like, Oh, here we are. We're, I'm, I got my own business now. And then mm -hmm. you kind of figured it out along the way to get the right government documents in line to make sure that you're compliant and all that. And then, you know, what was it like to, you know, similarly, like you're, you're on stage for the first time. When did you know that you had this voice in you that you could sing and then, and then, and bring it? I mean, cause I mean, Evanescence is, I mean, I know I get all the, you know, the, the, the ways in which people kind of drag them sometimes, but like, you know, she has an amazing voice. Mm -hmm. They were popular for a reason. Like when did you first have the sense of like, I need to go out there and, and perform. And, and what was that first initial buzz like when you, uh, when you had 
had that type of uh, excitement where the crowd was singing back to you? When, when mm-hmm. did you know that? So I, in high school, I was in a band um, called A Second Closer to the End. It was myself and um, two of the alumni from 2016. Um, and so the three of us played, we, we did like the variety show once I think and then we like tried to do the battle of bands and then it fizzled out and we didn't do that for a while um and when I was in the band I was always like I want to be on stage I want to I want to be one of those big bands that I you know are on the work tour when work tour was still a thing and all that fun stuff um so I always had it in me um there's a lot of performance backgrounds in my my family my dad played drums and my grandmother used to sing and things like that so I um I've always kind of had it in me and then I kind of like would do uh, like do projects by myself and do stuff at home and they didn't really ever go anywhere but I enjoyed doing that and then uh I was always on the lookout for another band but oddly enough like no one really ever gave me a chance and I don't know if it's because you know they they saw this you know five foot three hundred pound green thing and in front of them and they were like oh yeah no what are you gonna do um but for whatever reason, just nothing ever really panned out. Uh, and then I started going to uh, a karaoke bar, which was actually a local West Chicago business that unfortunately is closed since um, since then. But um, I would go to karaoke and I would sing all the time and I would just find any kind of excuse I possibly could. Um, and then through that karaoke bar, I met my best friend uh, and he's also in a local band. And... Um, he told me, he was like, you know, I know you're looking and we're going to find you a band and one day we're going to share the stage and it's going to be awesome. And so he was always on the lookout for me and I tried out for one band and it didn't work out. And I was like, okay, you know what? It is what it is. So he uh, messaged me last September and he said, Hey, um, this band is looking for a female vocalist and a keyboardist. Um, They're, their last member just left. Uh, she just decided she wasn't going to do it anymore. I think he'd be a really great fit. All the guys that are in this band are awesome. Um, and I think that you would really enjoy yourself. And so I said, okay, sounds good. Uh, I'll shoot them a message. And I shot a message, sent them a couple audition tracks. And I met with them the following weekend and ran a practice with them. And I'd like to believe it went well. Uh, and then by uh, a couple weeks later, I was in the band. Um, and it was really surreal to me when I was told that I was in the band, mainly because then we had a show to play about three weeks later and I had to learn all the original content they had for that show. Um, after initially they were like, yeah, you know, maybe we'll pull you up for like one or two songs. And then it went from that to, do you want to do the whole set? Wow. So this is, so this is a lot of, this is not a cover band. This is like original stuff. Correct. Um, wow. We do. Yeah, you're right. So it's not like you have an echo of memory if they were anything else. Like this is something you have to be like be mm-hmm. the, the the know what the vision of that. Do you do you have any um, uh, uh, songwriting in you as well that you've contributed to to the uh, to the stage? Absolutely. So that oh, was actually like, mm, um, that was something that was fun when um, I initially joined the band. Is they had a, a bunch of. Uh, pieces of music in their um in their google drive that they were like yeah you know these are songs that like we wrote instrumentals for but we don't have any lyrics for so if you see anything that sounds good feel free to check it out and go from there and 
we had a, they had a couple songs that were ready. Um, so I was like, okay, well, let me, you know, learn what I got to learn. And, uh, about a week before my first show, we wrote two songs. Um, one of which I wrote, one of them just kind of needed to be fixed up. And that's the nice thing about my co-vocalist and I is we work very well together lyrically that I tend to add too much detail to things. And then he is really good at simplifying things. So um, the two of us work really well in tag teaming as far as writing lyrically. Um, so I have written, we have two full songs that I have um, either written a good chunk of or um or I should say three. We have we have a new one that we just did. So yeah, so we have three that are um, a little more recent, and then we are working on a couple more um, that'll hopefully be done sometime next year. Songwriting to me is like alchemy. It's just magic, you know, like how where something comes from nowhere and it ends up being uh, immortal. Sometimes that that just mm -hmm. blows my mind uh, when that happens. Ah, this is so cool. Well. Emily, this has been so much fun, and I was wondering if you could share with uh, current Wildcats some tips for success. Absolutely. Um, as far as, you know, just trying to do something, whether it's something you've dreamed about doing or something that you're considering, but you're not really sure, definitely do your research. Definitely, you know, know as much as possible of what you're doing, but also don't be afraid to take risks. And also don't be afraid to ask for help where you need to, because, you know, like I said, my best friend helped me find my band. Um, my mom helps me do my taxes. Um, so, you know, it definitely helps to have a great support system, but, um, you know, use your skills to your advantage. And, you know, definitely if you're thinking about doing something, it's chances are is gonna be a great idea for you to do. Um, purely on the fact that I did not ever expect to be where I'm at. Um, you know, I remember being in high school and being, you know, I had all these ideas and I had all these dreams and I knew I, you know, I wanted to do music and I liked doing hair. And um, the extent of where everything is now is still surreal to me and I'm living it. So um, anything is possible, just sometimes you gotta wait. I love that. Well, Emily, thank you so much. This has been great. And uh, we're excited for your music. We're excited for your continued success with your business. This has just been so inspirational. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. Do us a favor and spread the word about We Go Places by sharing our interviews with other Wildcats. If you want to search past episodes or stay current, subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere where you can get your podcasts. Just search We Go Places. You can follow We Go Places on our Facebook page as well, and also Twitter at We Go Places Podcast. And if you know a former Wildcat who would be a great guest, send me a direct message on Facebook, Twitter, or by school email at, at bturnbow at d94.org. B-T-U-R-N-B-A-U-G-H at d94.org.
。